You're listening to the Volleyball by Design podcast. Today, we have a special guest on the pod today. We, uh, actually, kind of embarrassing that we've taken three and a half years to have this person on the pod, but this is a pro and national team middle. When he was in college, he was a three-time All-American and arguably the best middle in the continent. He was unreal, and he still is unreal as he begins his pro journey. And um, this is a really good one because we dive in and we talk about some great insights that coaches would love to hear about. Things like, you know, what makes a great coach, and what what did and he's been on in national level programs and in, at UCLA and other types of programs. And he breaks down what he found to be um, the the best qualities in his in his coaches. We talk about practices and we break down the middle position a little bit. We talk about match preparation and culture. And he, he gives some great insight onto some things that I think coaches would need to you know pick up and apply to their gyms and their teams. So this is an episode you definitely don't want to miss. Stay tuned. Hi, I'm Coach Brian Singh, and after a number of years coaching competitive volleyball and as the head coach of the biggest college in Canada, I've become obsessed with helping coaches improve their knowledge and skills of the game by teaching them how to coach efficiently and effectively to ultimately reach their volleyball goals. I created the Volleyball by Design podcast to give you simple, actionable, step-by-step strategies so you can get clarity and apply what you learn right away. This is the Volleyball by Design podcast. What's up, ladies and gentlemen? Welcome to episode 187 of the Volleyball by Design podcast. How is everyone doing out there today? Another week of volleyball. Uh, Super excited to be back on the pod for the, what is it, the third episode of 2024. Um, Again, just want to really, really get a chance to welcome all our new DVA members who joined DVA this week. As many of you guys know, I had my workshop last week, which thank you again if you came out to that workshop. And uh, this week I had doors open for DVA where coaches got a chance to to join DVA if they were interested. And we had a ton of coaches uh, that, that wanted to get Get going in 2024, and I want to welcome all of you DVA members. Uh, super excited to we're gonna have actually our first coaching call today, so I'm super excited to jump on Zoom and get a chance to you know talk volleyball with you guys. Um, and if you haven't, if you missed the opportunity to sign up for DVA this time around, that's okay. Head on over to digitalvolleyballacademy.com. There's a wait list there. You can sign up for that wait list, and I will personally reach out to you to make sure that you're taken care of in the beginning part until DVA is open. All right, now. Let's talk about today's episode. So as you would have seen in the title, we have a special guest on today's episode. Um, I'm pretty embarrassed to say that we are 187 episodes in, and this is the first time that he's been on the podcast. That's pretty crazy considering how close we are and how how much of an impact we've had on each other's lives. Um, This specific player, um, I had the privilege and honor of coaching since he was 14 years old. Uh, and then when he left our program, he went on and did amazing things at UCLA, was a three-time All-American. Uh, he played on the national team for Canada. He's uh, now competing and playing in his first pro contract in Finland. Um, I mean, I think it's safe to say that any volleyball player in North America in the last 10 years or any volleyball coach that's been around the game in the last 10 years is going to know exactly who this player is. He was arguably the best middle in North America coming out of his graduating class um, and probably was the best middle in college in North America when he was playing. So many of you will know exactly who this person is. And I'm super excited to welcome to the pod for the first time. Crazy. Can't believe it's the first time. Danon Kofi Gemma. What's going on? What's up? (laughs) 
Wow. It's been so, I can't believe it's taken this long to get you on the pod. I know I'm going to get a lot of messages when this episode goes live about, wow, finally, Dana's <laughs> on the pod. Dana's on the pod. Oh, that's great. I'm like, yeah. So how you been? What's going on? I've been good. Um, I guess I've been back playing the sport for like three weeks now, maybe three or four weeks. I don't know. How long was it since I was getting ready for the Years. season in your gym? Oh, oh, in the season, you were in the gym two weeks in our gym. Like two, yeah, two to three weeks, yeah. Yeah, so two, I don't know. I guess I've been back playing for a month after, you know, three, three, three years off. So it's fun. Three years off. And I got to tell you, for those of you that, that know Dayton, when he came in our gym for the first time not playing in three years, it was like nothing changed. You would think he'd be slower and maybe he gained some weight or he wasn't athletic or anything like that. No, no, he, we, we measured his vertical. He was touching well above 12 feet. Which is which is unbelievable. Um, so let, let's for our listeners who don't know who you are, um, you know if that's possible, do you want to just uh, tell everybody your story, like you know, your story yeah. from from the ground up and what you're doing now and where you came from and your whole volleyball life, etc. Go ahead. Yeah. So um, I guess basically, uh, my life since I was maybe 14 or 15 has revolved around two pillars, being volleyball and music. Um, I. I've always been super into music uh, and always, not always, but ever since you started coaching me in 14U, always been into volleyball. Uh, wasn't that good when, you know, we started working together. But um, by the end, by 18U, I don't know how you did it, but I was definitely, you know, coming along quite nicely. <laughs> so then, yeah, went to UCLA, played four years um, in the summer, had some uh chances to play on the national team which was amazing I mean you always I always love being able to represent my country um and then yeah once I finished my fourth year at UCLA I just um I looked at volleyball looked at music and I decided I wanted to focus on music for a bit and kind of establish myself in that industry and then um yeah so I did that for the last two three years um but now I'm at a point where I think I can do both at a high level and I noticed very quickly into my first year of not being a professional or not professional athlete, my first year of not being like a dedicated high level athlete, I noticed that mentally, I don't have as much clarity when I don't work out. So I made a point of working out at kind of the same rate. So I kind of was always in shape. So coming back wasn't really that hard of a thing physically to do. So I'm just happy, you know, that I'm back now, it feels like a lot of things aligning. Right. I love that. You know, it's funny. So for, for the, for the volleyball fans who, who know who you are, I know when you've made the decision to go music instead of playing volleyball professionally, because everybody just assumed you would go play professionally, have a great career and do things like that. It, uh, it kind of took the volleyball community by storm. And there were a lot of people who were like, what is this guy doing? He's throwing his life away. Oh, here's another Toronto rapper. Oh, here is this and that. Like, first of all, what were some things that you were hearing and how did you deal with that? Um, I mean, I kind of heard it all. Uh, everyone has their opinion, especially on social media, because every, everyone's opinion can reach you. Um, I mean, I kind of just dealt with it by, I mean, I was kind of just leading with my heart, following my heart, making the decision that I thought was best for me. And I fully tend to stand on that decision to this day, even though now I'm coming back to the sport. Uh, I, I think it's, I don't know. It's important to follow things that you're passionate about. And um, just what I've done now in music, it's kind of 
what's allowing me to come back to volleyball now because I have that stable source of income from music that I I'm not here playing professionally to to make money at all I'm here just to focus on the craft of volleyball which I think is the most pure way to go about it so I think like there's no regrets with uh stepping away from the sport for three years and I think if anything it made me more mature and I'm a more mature athlete now and yeah I'm excited yeah, I don't know about you, but I, I was super excited when you, you made that announcement. You're coming back to play volleyball. Gives me a reason to go watch some pro volleyball again, like on that side of the world. Uh, I will say, not a lot of people know this about you, but in addition to being an extremely talented musician and volleyball player, uh, but Danon is an intellect. Like you are one of the most intelligent young minds that I've been I've been around, and people I don't think people understand that. And I'm, I think they can hear by the way you're speaking and articulating yourself. You have a really great understanding of when you're doing things and what you do. And I want to, which is, which makes me more excited. Now this, this podcast is all, all about, it's all for volleyball coaches. So don't worry, coaches, we're going to get to some, some things you can take back and, you know, write down in your gym, which you know about. Uh, I always say it on every episode. Actually, I forgot to tell, I forgot to say it on this episode, but every episode, I'm always like this episode. Uh, first of all, I, I welcome people, which I forgot to do. So I forgot to introduce myself, coach Brian, for those of you that haven't figured it out yet. And I'm always like, you're going to get tangible step-by-step strategies to take back to your gym and apply right away. And I think we're going to do that today, especially with the level of intellect that you have about the game and about life and just in general, it's amazing. So let's, let's dive right in. And I want to know uh, from you, you know, you've been around many coaches, national, provincial, college, et cetera. You know, what, what makes a good coach? You know, what, what are some attributes about your great coaches that stood out to you? Ooh, um, Open-ended yeah. question. Go ahead. Yeah, it's a crazy question. And I'm going to apologize in advance that I can definitely ramble on and my gears can get spinning mid and I can like lose my train of thought mid, you know, sentence, but right. we'll try our best. Um, yeah, I think the best, all the best coaches that I've had have been great people. Um, I mean, when you're coaching a team of athletes, I mean, I, I'm not a coach, but you have to deal with a lot of personalities. And I don't know. I think I just had a level of trust in the coaches that I resonated with the most that I didn't in coaches that I did not appreciate as much. So, um, yeah, that's probably the number one thing I'd say. There's also, there's so much that goes into it though. Like I've had so many analytical coaches, so many creative coaches, like, um, at my time at UCLA it was amazing because Spiraz just like this mad scientist genius of a of, of a coach that's just like he's literally a scientist just looking at numbers and figuring out creative ways to be um I don't know just to gain edges you know so there's also an element of that sorry okay so we have, uh, so you have great people, um, you trust them, uh, creative and analytical. Um, okay, let, let's dive into some more deeper things. Let's talk about practice then. So you've been around a lot of programs and things like that. Has there anything anything about practice that has stood out to you based on the coaches you've had? What are some things that you're like, oh, I really like that that coach does in this practice. This helped me. It's helped our team a lot. You know, it's things that stood out to you. I'm a big fan of games, like little games, warm-up games, and uh just things that make you hyper-focus on different skills that you wouldn't think about as much. Like um, we were having that conversation earlier 
uh, this week about a bunch of games. Like we play this game here where uh, one contact you have to put into the net and then recycle it high in, in the middle of the court and then hit an out of system ball. So as I mentioned athletes, that on last week's episode, I talked to yeah. them. It was great. Yeah. Hopefully my coach doesn't get mad at me stealing the sauce, but <laughs> uh, yeah. So like games like that, like, just in that game it's kind of genius because we're all athletes we're all super competitive and we're all gonna try to win these little warm-up games even though there's no you know there's no championship or anything but in that game you're working on the ball control to put a ball into the net which is not as easy as it sounds uh risk recovering a ball out of the net which is a skill that people just don't really talk about and then out of system attacking which is kind of like kind of a great skill to have like as a player i have so much faith when i have faith in our team's ability to score out of system and just to win the out of system game uh in general it's like that just brings a sense of confidence of confidence you don't have to pass perfect not saying you you shouldn't but Mm -hmm. you yeah you just have that confidence so little games like that help you hyper focus and gets everyone going on those skills (laughs) Okay, I'm sorry. I want I want to jump back to to the other things you talked about earlier about coaches. Um, I left a couple of things un, unanswered. Okay, so you talked about coaches being great people. I I want to dive in it because coaches are listening to this. Because coaches probably want to know what does that mean? Great people. What does that mean? Trust. Like, how do you? Why do you trust these coaches? So let's start off. What do you mean by great people? Just, I I think just like positive role models. Like I think that's that's what I learn the most from every coach. Uh, just like people that show you what it is to be a productive kind of person with great values. Like I'm thinking about when I was like, as a coach, you're always not always, but not the pro level, but most of the time you're older uh, than the athletes you coach. Mm -hmm. And I, like, I remember you were, you weren't that much older than me when you were coaching me. I mean, still same age, but uh I was yeah like I would always look up to you you would just you were 23 I think when you started coaching us full-time which was crazy but the amount of dedication and time that you put into us that's something that we noticed and the values that you tried to instill in us that you kept yourself to the same standards you know right those were kind of things that we picked up on uh, and same thing with Spira. I mean when you're in universities like very formative years of your life uh, having someone who's showing you like half of his job, I swear, was just teaching us what it was to be men, right. how to be responsible, how to take care of what needs to be taken care of, and you know, act in mature ways. So I don't know. Okay. That's- no, I, I love it. I love it. No, that, that makes, that makes a, a ton of sense. Okay. So how, how has your coaches developed trust with you then? Um. Oh. I, I think I've honestly gotten so lucky. So for coaches listening out there, I, like, I don't think this is like a mandatory thing, but like my coaches have honestly all gone the extra mile with time for me. Like I remember, like, I remember I used to skateboard to your house. You had the weight room in the basement. I would, you know, yeah. like we would lift, we would watch film before practice, which is crazy. Um, same thing with like Spira. He came to my first label meeting. You know what I mean? So just like, right. I don't know, just like the little things. If you invest in the player, the player's 100% going to invest in you and apply themselves fully. 
I, I actually agree with that. Like, it, it's funny you talk about the, like the extra time we spent together at straight, even after you graduated, I noticed that when I did that with other players, like out, like give them a call or give, send them a text or, or I'm watching video. I send them clips of video of the, just them. And we talk about it. Like we, like the time showing that I actually care. It's really simple. Just, well, I mean, mm -hmm. I genuinely do care, obviously, but not only do I genuinely care, but like showing the athlete that you care, uh, I think that 100% helps with establishing trust. So I, I appreciate you saying that because I can, I can relate to that. Um, okay. The, sorry, go on. You're going to say something? Oh, no, 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 no. I was just like, agree. <laughs> okay. So the third, so the third thing you said, and I, I really want to dive into this. You said that Spra, mad scientist genius, creative and analytical. I want you to talk about what, what that means. Like why, how was he creative and analytical or, uh, you know, or other coaches that, you know, are creative and like, how's that work? What are you talking about? It's just like, sometimes you walk into his office and there's just like ridiculous spreadsheets that nobody else understands. And he's just like looking at every stat and trying to find, I don't know, just ways to solve problems. Like that whole, we were talking about it, uh, like the system that we also run here on very out of system balls, like very, very poor passes, just putting yeah. them high in the middle of the court. Like that's something I'm pretty sure he came up with just to, uh, just because like a 50, 50 ball is a better chance of scoring than trying to push a ball from the other side of the court, right on the net to the pin without going outside of it, where it's like a 0% chance of scoring. Right. You know, so oh, like, yeah, just so like, he plays a percentage as well. He knows he understands the percentages and, and yeah, yeah, understands the percentages. He made me realize like the value in real points. Uh, what's a real what, point? I mean, that's what he calls it. Uh, that's a point from when you're serving, so like not a side out point. Okay. Uh, and what was his emphasis on a real point? Like, why why is that important? Because you're, I think, in men's volleyball, you're kind of supposed to trade side outs i could be completely wrong but that's that's the way i see the game you're supposed to kind of trade side outs uh especially if you're passing perfectly i mean you have four attackers right and a setter you're kind of supposed to score it's tilted in your favor but if you right. can become a team that can that really values real points and gets good at scoring them and, and, and you side out well it's kind of impossible to lose and a real point is only on the serving line yeah that's that's the point you have 100% control over. It's like you're a real point. But to your point, it's, it's not really that. It's the fact that when you pass in system, you're supposed to score. Yeah. 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 I mean, sometimes it doesn't work out like that. Like oftentimes, you know, other teams go on runs. They get a bunch of reels. But that's kind of where the game is won and lost, in my opinion. Yeah. I Spr actually, when I talked to Sprazo, he he's always been criticized for his serving philosophy. Um, and he takes a lot of heat for it, but he, he stands by his point. And I, and I, I hear what he's saying because he has a lot of serving errors. His teams always have a ton of serving errors, but he, he really believes serving errors don't matter. Like you have to be serving tough. You yeah. have to, you can't risk it. There was a point in one of our seasons, I forget where he's just, he picked apart like every single game looking at service errors and the scores. And if we won and it didn't matter like that those numbers didn't like relate to each other if we had a bunch of service errors that didn't mean we lost necessarily so right yeah it was just kind of real percentage and that's kind of what we were talking about yesterday uh where i was like now when i'm talking about my serve i focus on uh how many serves i got to serve in the game right because i mean the more serves that's the more 
more serve attempts is more reels. So I don't know. Yeah, more serve attempts. Right. More reels. So even if like you're jump serving as fast as you can, if they're signing out every single time, you got to switch it up maybe with a float, okay. something with a different look. Okay. No, I gotcha. Okay. Let's, um, is there anything before we move on to the next topic? Is there anything else that you could, that you thought of as we were having this discussion about attributes or characteristics or things that your top coaches have done that you're like, wow, that's every coach should be like this or every coach should do this. Um, if not, it's fine. Well, yeah, no, just like to echo the point that I made before, just really investing in your players. It's going to make them put all the, like invest back in you. Okay. I love that. No, I appreciate that. Okay. Let's, let's go back to, to practice a bit here. And again, I, I'm, I'm really trying to, you, you've been around so many great gyms, right? You've been, you've been in essentially in a team USA with a team USA coach, UCLA, and then you got team Canada, then you got your pro team in Finland. You've added so much opportunity to be around all these great coaches. So let's go back to practice. What have you found in your, in your playing career that has been like, okay, this is this is how you structure practice, or this is a really great thing to have in practices. I know it's a really broad question because we only have an hour, so I can't dive into the nitty gritty, but anything about practice that stood out to you in your years of playing that every coach could, should be like, okay, I need to try that in my practice. Anything that stood out to you? I mean, I feel like the higher level teams that I've been on, a lot of the practice is kind of six on six wash drills with like a high emphasis on not perfect passes like out okay. of system balls and like 10 footballs um i remember spra used to say that that's where the games won and lost interesting so the game so the games are won and lost on your out of system your ability to score on out of system yeah out of system scoring and and defense block defense um, and block defense right and yeah even like 10 balls at 10 feet like that's the year that uh Micah's junior year, my sophomore year at UCLA, when we went pretty far, we, you know, almost won. Yeah. Uh, that's something that we had pretty dialed in. Like from the middle, I was swinging from like from the 10 foot line, which was something that we dialed in that helped us a lot during the season. Right. Having middles still be effective when the ball is pushed off the net at the 10 foot line, like you say, and you kind of go from there. So when you, um, here's a question for you. When you, when you're in a game, Micah calls a 51. That's the route you're going to run, and the ball gets passed to the 10 foot line. You have to audible. You got to you got to change it. Is that something that I? How how do you manage to do that so successfully? Um. Well, when I was playing with Micah, we we actually wouldn't change it. Uh, we would just run the 51 from the 10 foot line. I would just jump in the same spot relative to him as I would if it was on the net. Um. Really and just kind of attack the ball from there. And that didn't hurt your shoulder or, or strain or anything like that? No, it was just like, I we ran our routes completely relative to where the set, to, to where like the ball was passed, where the set was standing. So it was always kind of the same angles. Only difference is those balls, you have to hit higher and deeper. Right. Um, you can't, you know, try to bounce it because you're at the 10 foot line. So right. you have to hit them deeper and they don't score as high percentage, but you know, they're still, they keep the block from just being able to have double blocks on the pins all the time. Right, 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 right. Okay. Um, anything else about practice 
that. So you have, so we have a big fan of multi-skill games, ball control, recovering the ball, the net, things like that, practicing multiple different skills. Uh, we have the higher level six on six wash drills, not perfect passes, even at 10 foot line. Anything else about practice in your career that you found that was really helpful or really good? Um, the last thing I'd say is like systematic discussions, like, uh, like all really, I, I mean, like all pretty good teams are at a point where the effort is never something that the coach is talking about. Mm -hmm. All breaks in play and conversations are systematic. Like we'll play until something happens that we're unsure. And then we'll have a discussion about that come to a consensus as a team and you know move forward can you give me an example of one yeah like um so there's a lot of these talks that i'm having right now just being new to this team like we just played our third game uh well they've been i, I joined halfway through the season so uh i've just played my third game with them so congratulations by the way you're on a three-game winning streak you're undefeated amazing thank you um yeah so we'll we'll be playing and then, you know, a free ball will come into two and then me and the, as a middle, I like to take free balls into two with my hands, you know, freeze up the setter, obviously to set the ball. And then the right side can have his full approach, whether he's front court or back court, give him a long runway. Plus I can also just take two steps in as a middle and be at my full height to attack. Right. right. Um. Yeah. So we'll be playing. That'll happen. And then he'll come in and I'll be there. So then, you know, after the play, we'll talk about it, figure out what we want to do. Just stuff like that. Uh, okay. So, so in terms of like placement, like where you are, did you like that? Like, is that a good yeah. route? Like things like that. Yeah. Like okay, gotcha, gotcha, talking gotcha. to the setter a lot <clears throat> on block defense. I'm talking with the, the libero a lot, uh, just figuring out where, and I mean, all three defenders back there, just figuring out exactly what they want me to do on tips, like just finding out kind of like the seams in the defense. Like, I, I don't know if I'm articulating nope. it correctly. Yeah, no, I get what you're saying. Yeah, you're always you're having a discussion with the libero. Hey, did I take this away? Should I be doing this? Libero is like, well, I'm, I'm playing this side of you. Like, what, like those type of tactical things. Mm -hmm. Yeah, like all, all discussions are tactical and okay, systematic gotcha. in, in practice. Gotcha. Okay, so have systematic discussions. Okay, I like that. Anything else about practice? Any drills? Anything? Well, you talked about drills already. Anything warm up? Anything? Uh, I don't know. Structural that that was really that's really been good about practices that you've had. Um, I mean, just going back to the games, I I really like competitive warm ups because we could run, we can do all these active stretches, all of them under the sun. You're not going to be as warm as if you're competing and you're like a competitive athlete, you know. Yeah, you guys do a dynamic warm up before you do this, right or no? Yeah, well, here we all do our own dynamic warm up. Okay. So, I mean, th like this team, this team's amazing. Like every, it's just like the level of professionalism. Everyone just trusts everyone to warm themselves up correctly. Okay. I mean, as like we're all professional athletes, we all like nobody wants to get injured. You know, we we none of us can afford to get injured. So we're, right. we're going to do the best we can to prepare our bodies but yeah so we all do our own static things to get ourselves ready for the uh re ready for the games and then by the time we're done the games we're all sweating because we're all just you know doing okay 110 effort okay gotcha okay let's let's transition to something a little bit more specific so a lot of coaches are going to want to know you know dating one of the best middles in north america and stuff like that 
how how do they train the next day in? So last, I'll start off with um with from a, from a coach teaching someone to play the middle position for the first time. You know, how would you go about training a player who has never played the position, and what kind of things would you be teaching them to start? And then as you progressively get you know continue to grow, what are they what are they doing? It's a very it's another open ended question, but it's specific to your position. Yeah, I'm trying to think. I mean, I think the stereotypical middle isn't a good middle. Like when people think of middles, people think of like, you know, the guy who played basketball, who can jump a yeah. little bit and doesn't really have any finesse. Yes. Uh, so they put them in the middle because they can't pass. But I, the way I see the middle, like you have to really be a thinker. Like you gotta, you have to be thinking about that other team's offense all the time and I can overthink I like I'm definitely guilty of overthinking about the team's offense a lot but um yeah I think you really need to be dialed in on what you're doing because you're kind of you're kind of like the first line of defense the right. way I see it I don't know to coach a middle from nothing yeah it's a tough question it's like, <laughs> yeah. what, what's yeah. the so here, I'll tell you how I, how I do it. And you mm -hmm. tell me if, if that's a bad approach or, or how you would change it. So the first thing that we talk, we teach any type of middle is footwork. So just learning how to move yeah. uh, along the net, um, from attacking, from blocking, uh, from coming off the net to approaching, you know, like everything, like just footwork, getting them used to what, what the middle position really is. That's where I start. What do you think about that? Yeah, I mean, yeah, that, that makes perfect sense. All the footwork is so important in the middle, especially block footwork like there's so many different little intricate things of blocking footwork that it's so important uh, right and also just being very consistent on your routes uh, and in a place where the setter can hit you well the setter can know that you're there every single time okay I so it's interesting sorry i cut you off go ahead no no no, no. continue well, well that was my second thing i teach them is i teach them uh the number system at the net so I teach them different routes. So now that you understand the footwork, now here are the routes that a middle could run. And depending on your level, if you're, a, you know, if you're 14 to 15 you, it's very simple. As the higher level you go, the more intricate it can get and things like that. And then, so we start with footwork and we do routes. Okay. And then we'll start teaching them mechanics. So mechanics of swinging. So, you know, pull back this, that rotation, all that stuff. Uh, then we start teaching them uh, after attacking footwork, then it's blocking footwork or sorry, blocking. Sorry. After it's attacking mechanics, then it's blocking mechanics, hand positioning, starting positioning, uh, you know, footwork out, sealing, penetrating, all that fun stuff. Uh, and then we just, then we just rinse and repeat and continue to grow. What do you, I don't know. Yeah. Anything to take away or add or change? <laughs> no, I just, I mean, just hearing you speak about that, I, it makes me realize how much of the stuff I kind of take for granted. Like <laughs> I've been shaping these tools like the mechanics of different things for so many years that they're kind of just second nature now. So I right. kind of, yeah, I kind of never even thought about those things. Well, not never, but in the last couple of years, I haven't really thought about those things. All of my brain, like all of my thinking has gone towards like, uh, I guess, higher level things. Right. Well, to put it into perspective, every year we, we go through this, even because when we have rookie middles that come to our gym, I have no clue the training that they've gotten. I, I want to make sure we're on the same language. So I, I literally teach them like I would be teaching someone who's never played the position before to an extent, like it's faster. Mm -hmm. But so we start off with the footwork. We make them go through all the footwork bases. Then we do our attacking. 
uh, sorry, then we do the, um, after they've gone through the full work, then we do the routes, like we talked about, different routes. We teach them how offense works because offense is revolved around the middle. And, and if you, you, I don't know if, you, if players don't know how to think about offense, they don't know that. So I run them through an entire offensive workshop on how offense works and right. everyone goes through it. But middle, it's really important for middles because, like I said, the offense revolves around the middles. You're trying to free up a one-on-one for the left side. Well, what, well the middle has to do something in order for you to do that. Mm-hmm. So it, it all. So then they, they learn how routes, and, it, and then we then we do the the the, the technical. Then right. we teach them how to hit, approach, distance, separation, all that stuff, uh, blocking technique. And then after we do the block and attacking, then we do ball control, out of system. Uh, all that, all that other stuff. So it's like a complete package, but it takes time, and we go through it with them. And then, only then, when they learn all that, then we start talking about higher level thinking. So committing, staying neutral, fronting, you know, doing this, doing that, and reading the setter and all that stuff. So there's yeah. like a crash course on how to teach a middle. But um, would you would you add anything to that? Um, I mean, yeah, there's. There's, I mean, there's so many things that just go into being like a high level middle, but um, kind of just awareness. Like you really need to understand how an offense works. You need to be aware of if you're in the way because a lot of middles can be in the way. Oh, hundred <laughs> percent. Yeah. You need to know what routes are running. Like you can't be the middle that the setter says go on a 51 and you end up on a 30. And now the, I don't know, like the, the pipes on your head. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. That's so. right. Okay. Well, how about we do this? Let's, um, so what was the biggest difference from going to club to university from, the, from like as a middle perspective, like just from the middle position, what did you have to change, adapt, get better at, et cetera? Cause when you left us, you were, I, I think you were good. Uh, we did our best to get you ready for the next level, but what, what'd you have to, you know, do when you got there? I think what I had to get a lot better at was just adjusting to the speed of the game uh, from a blocking perspective. Uh, My attacking, I don't think I really changed much. Uh, Sometimes there would be a bigger block, but I've always been the type of attacker to just kind of see the block. And if there's a big block, then, you know, you have to go high. You can't just bury the ball. Um, So I didn't, I don't think I really changed much in my attacking. We started running some different routes in my second year, but, uh, yeah, it was just blocking and understanding the speed of the game and picking up different footwork techniques to be able to close blocks and kind of understanding that you don't need to max jump on every single block. Sometimes you just have to be there, not that high, just solid hands over the net and you'll get the touch that your team needs. Okay, let's talk about that. What are the type of different routes you do or the different footwork that you learned to make you better? So I don't know if this was at UCLA or you. I'm pretty sure it was at UCLA. Did we okay. ever talk about split steps? We did, but we didn't train it as much as I do now. Yeah. So, yeah. I mean, that's probably like the first thing I picked up. And it just makes so much sense. I don't know how to explain it without yeah. showing it. Yeah, I no, I get it. I want to try it. But uh, yeah, basically, it's like when you when the ball is coming to the setter, uh, and you're blocking, so you're getting ready to read. You're not committing. Uh, a split step puts you in a. I don't. I really don't know how to explain it. How would you explain it? Okay, uh, I'm gonna let you start, and then I'm gonna finish. So, I so when first of all, when do you split step? 
because that okay. might change. When do you split step? Um, so I split step right before the setter contacts the ball. So basically, it's kind of like I don't want to say it's a hop, but you're definitely you're definitely coming off the ground a tiny bit. At least I am. But by the time I'm on the ground, I know where the ball is going. By the time I'm back on the ground, I don't right? Know if that makes sense. Yeah. So here, here's the whole the whole thing about the split step. It's the split step. You're able to move much faster because the split step gives you momentum. So when you're when you're sta sta standing as regular blocker, you're stationary. You're not moving, and then you have to go in a different direction really quickly. So the split step, what it does is it's it's a Sorry, it's a slight hop. It's not a jump. It's a t it's a slight hop that you do right before the setter contacts the ball. And when you land, the theory is the setter would have already released. And then when the setter releases, you see where that ball is going. And the momentum that you're getting from this little tiny hop is enough to propel you in a direction laterally so you can get there faster. And it really, really helps at the higher level. I think I actually have a good way to like explain why it works. Go ahead, let me hear. So... When you're standing at the net, if your feet are close together uh, and you try to go to the side, what you have to do first is take a step laterally to the side. Um, and the reason your feet are together is because you sometimes in the middle need to be able to jump up. And that's why you don't start with your feet wide. Because if you started with your feet wide, then in order to get lateral speed, all you would have to do is pick up one foot and you would already be falling that way. But right. if your feet are wide, you can't go straight up. So the right. split step... It's a little hop, which allows you to either have your feet narrow to jump straight up or wide to go to a pin. Like it, it, right. it kind of puts you in a position to be both. And you started picking that up in your second year when you got there? Yeah. Right. Well, that's good. Yeah, we, 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 are, we are doing it now more and more in our gym. I think it's becoming... I think it's evident that yeah, we don't not not only on blocking, we do it on defense, you know, on passing, and it's 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 so it's so valuable, um, and it's something that I actually haven't taught when I when like when I was a younger coach. Now I'm starting to implement it a little bit more, and I'll be I'll continue to start doing it more and more because the research backs the split step. The split step is amazing. Uh, we teach it in our in our national gym as well, um, and it's yeah, it's super important. So I like that, and I like the way that you framed it. Uh, the split step. Okay, sorry, sorry, go ahead. Oh no, I was just gonna say, like, I, I'm sorry again. Like it's really hard to explain without showing it, but yeah, I don't know. Maybe if you want to like upload a video, I could do like a video demonstration of why it works. Oh yeah, absolutely. That'd be great. Okay, so the split step. So we talk about um so let's talk attacking, okay? I you mentioned there you start you you got really you're really good at seeing the block and so what what are you looking for when you're attacking a ball as a middle? Um so for me. Uh, once I know my route and once, once, once I know my route, I guess we'll start with the serve. So, um, I'm usually communicating with the passer that I'm right in front of, figure out if they want me to get the short serve, uh, like if it's a spin serve, if they want me to get the cut, uh, as a middle, you usually get the tape. So once you assess, so the first thing you have to do is assess if the ball is going to be in your passing zone. So once it's not, once the ball's passed, you have to figure out exactly where where it's going very quickly and when it's going to get there and then you have to i guess do your approach to that spot but while i'm doing my approach i'm always looking at the block 
seeing what they're doing because I try to assess what, where and when the ball is going to where the ball is going and when it's going to get there uh, right. very quickly. So once I do that, now I have all the time in the world to kind of look at the block while I'm on my way to the setter approaching. So based on that, you can kind of see if they're double blocking, which blocker is helping, which blocker is released. If the blocker, and if, if their outside is helping, then I know I'm either going to have to go high over the outside, high over the middle, or I could turn it to one because maybe the right side blocker is not helping. Uh, right. Yeah. So I, I just take all that time to look at the blocker and then, you know, get up there and then still kind of peripherally looking at the block. And as long as I can see the block, I know it's safe to go straight down where the block isn't. Right. So you do all this with your peripherals. Yeah, I, not all of it. I mean, like I'm, I, I look straight at the, at like straight at the block when I'm approaching after I know where and when the ball is going to get to the setter. Right. But yeah, he's your middle. So I guess it's different. So you're looking at the block as you approach. And then when, once that ball gets into the setter's hands, then it's all peripheral oh, yeah. after that. Yeah. It's all peripheral after that. Basically, even before it gets to the setter's hands, it, looking at the block has to be peripheral. Uh, right. So like the information I'm getting from the pass is very quick. I have to determine like the quicker you can determine where the pass is going and when it's going to get there, you can spend the rest of the time kind of looking at the blockers and figuring out what the best angle is to hit. You know, what's funny. That's a great point. That's a, that's a skill in itself because I, I can't tell you the amount of times we work with our middles coming into the gym and they, they have, they're so poor at tracking the ball to the setter. Like they're getting in the way of the setter. They're not, mm -hmm. they don't have enough run. Like, like they don't, there's no runway to actually approach because of, they don't understand where the ball is going. So that's, that's a great skill is that read first. And then you can kind of go from there. I like that. No, that's good. It also helps. It helps a lot. Um, if your setter has a consistent rhythm every single time, like the rhythm of when they jump on good passes, uh, the rhythm of when they jump right. to when they set the ball, uh, then you can kind of like that kind of takes out some of the reading of when the ball is going to get there and where, because the setter will be standing there. So if you can trust the setter's rhythm, you know when you need to be there. You know what I mean? I like that. That's such a great point. I got to add that in here. So like setters having the same rhythm. Cause you know, it's funny. You're right. Cause even like just when we work with our, um, our setter hit, like our setter middle communication, that, that that's one of the things that our, our middles always helps. Well, it's different every time, you know, and, and it's true. If they could look, if they could look the same every time, have the same rhythm, uh, there's so much easier to get flow into that state. No, I love that. Uh, okay. So we got, Middle, you look at the tape first because that's your that's your ball on serve receive, and you figure out really quickly where the where the ball is coming from, where it's going to the setter. You run your route, pay attention to the block, with your peripherals when that setter when that setter setting you the ball. You see is our pins helping? Is it a one on one? Do you have no block? Are they late? And you, you go from there. Yeah, yeah. Okay. And uh, there's always going to be balls where you can't see the block at all, and when that happens you have to go high into the deep third of the court. Wait, where is the deep third of the court exactly that you like to play? Like, um, like in the last 10 feet of the court. Anywhere there. Yeah. I mean, usually you pick a side, you don't want to go straight to six. Usually six is kind of standing there. Yep. Uh, but yeah, I, I mean, I, I like to definitely go 
five or one deep when I can't see the block. Right. Okay. What uh, what can you tell us about blocking? Right, so we got we talk, this is great for attacking. I love this. Anything about blocking specifically? Yeah, I the way I see blocking is it's kind of impossible. So what you got to do, <laughs> yeah, it, it, it's impossible. It's something you can't just solve. So yeah. like, you got to just make it as easy on yourself as you can. So you can do that in film, really studying the other team and really trying to get a feel for what they do in every situation, every single rotation, and then understanding what every hitter does. Like if you know a hitter likes to tip a lot and you're late on the block, just don't jump. Like just sit there and get ready for tips, you know, or if you know, he doesn't tip, you got it. And he can bury that ball cross and you're late. You got to put a hand up, even if you're nowhere near a good block, like just to get like a passive hand, just to slow it down and give your defenders some time, you know, okay, so just like reading the, I mean, doing the work before you're in the situation is kind of what I would say. Okay. Now, hypothetically, what if you've never played against this player before and you never, you don't have film on them? Oh, you have no film. Yeah, I know. Many of our coaches always complain they have no film. You know, there are a lot of tournament-based coaches that are playing in tournaments, not a lot of film. First tournament of the season, things like that. First tournament of the season, I would focus on... Yikes. Uh, <laughs> that's a tough one. I haven't had to play with no film and not knowing... In a long time, I know. Yeah, in so long. Uh, I guess if it's like your first game of the season, I would really just focus on your side and that just playing your best volleyball but anything after that i would be i would definitely be trying to learn as much as i can right about the opponents like i don't know if you remembered we used to play uh when we played at that tournament uh we played a couple of u.s tournaments in yeah rochester like, was, New Year. Yeah. yeah rochester was a big one so like I don't know if you even know this, but when we weren't playing, we were scouting the teams that we were about to play. Like everyone, would I did. Clipboard. Oh, I oh, okay. did. I, I was. It was amazing. I loved it. I talk about it on the pod all the time. That, that's what we used to do. Yeah, like, you, yeah, you got to do that because like you have an impossible job as a middle. Like if you're sitting there with two hands and there's an offense with four people that could, you know, hit a ball way faster and you can run everywhere most of the time. Yeah, it's an impossible job. So you got to make it as easy on yourself as you can. That's the way I see it. See, I told you guys he was a higher level thinker. Yeah, and that's that's right. Like that's I I a hundred percent agree. I encourage coaches all the time at tournaments to have their players take notes on teams they're going to be playing against, on matchups and things like that. So what we do is if we haven't played against a team before and we have no clue what they're going to do, the first two rotations, the middle's learning. Like they're learning what that offensive player likes to do, what the setter likes to do, things like that. After the first two rotations are over, you have a a crash course on a little bit of patterns and a little bit of recognition on what they like to do. And then you can use that to, to go. And then we also know late game, like late game. Well, we know who their go-to hitters are. Well, we can start now making, you know, not guessing, but making, I don't know what, I don't know what you call it. Tactical decisions on where to favor on the court and things like that. Um, so that, that's kind of what we do. What do you say to that? No, I mean, that, that makes, that makes perfect sense. <clears throat> yeah. That makes perfect sense. If you have no no scouting report or anything on them. Yeah. Well, I mean, the good thing is that's usually like the beginning of the season. And by the end of the season, when you're in playoffs and the games really matter, you have like a big bank of right knowledge on, on every team. So right. you'll be able to, you know, pull from that. There's so many things you can pull from film, like little nuances such as like. Yeah, right, go ahead. Talk, really, let's talk about that. What do you pull from film? When you watch film, what do you look for? 
I'm, I'm looking for so much that sometimes I even confuse myself. Uh, a lot of the times I will watch every hitter's tendencies. I like to know the middle's tendencies, uh, which when they're like running different routes, like if they're like me and they like to look at the block on the way to the net uh, and then just hit where they're not, that's good to know because then you put your hands where your body isn't. So if my body's right. in one, then, you know, my hands go to five when I go to block that guy. Uh, knowing the hitter. That's an interesting point, actually. So knowing if the hitter likes to hit where the block isn't or doesn't care and hits where the block is. Yeah, like some hitters just, I, I don't know what they're thinking. They just hit where they're hitting. So right. those guys, you kind of just have to know. I don't know if, if a guy likes to only hit to five, put your hands in five. If he's higher than you, put your hands like kind of behind you and into five. Like don't yeah. press as much. I don't know. Yeah. If he's low, just press into five. Uh yeah. Uh I watch the setter a lot, see if there's any cues. Like, can he set outside over his right shoulder when his shoulders are like, I don't know, like are his shoulders can he set right side from off the net when his shoulders are squared to the outside pin? You know what I mean? Just stuff like that. Uh, yep. does he arch his back when he sets back i mean that's just yep. like an easy giveaway that's like an early read will help you a lot uh where does he set middle from mm. yeah there's kind of a lot of things like do they tip late in the game are they afraid to make errors uh right out of system do they try to go high hands because if they try to go high hands sometimes i like barely jump like i'm just jumping if they're not a high jumper and i know they're not going to go ot i right. just like i don't show them my full block I, I literally just you know just wrists over the net taking away the space for my defenders to defend around so right those are all things you can pick up in film okay that's, that's a lot of high level thinking i like that yeah sorry there's there's, there's so much like i don't know no you no can pick up anything in film yeah yeah that's true no no that, that's good that's good okay we got another 10 minutes left and we're gonna wrap this up so let's um Let's transition to match preparation. So I like I like I love that topic. As a coach, I'm I'm always trying to, you know, match prep as best as I can because we, we we do believe in our locker room that the more prepared you are for a game, the better you're gonna play and perform. And that's not just from a tactical perspective. That's like when you're prepared mentally, physically, you know, mind, body, soul, everything. Like from from our tactical scouting report to your well-being to everything. We we put so much into match prep. So I want to know. What is your match preparation like, if you have one? And then also as a team, what has been the best match prep that you've been around or experienced on all these high-level teams you've been part of? Um, so I guess like by now it's kind of standard that you watch film as a team and talk about a bunch of different situations and what you see. Uh, yeah. The coach usually comes with uh, what he's pulled from from watching film yeah. uh like where he thinks each defender should stand on each attack you know what i mean because like it's it's all different and your your block defense shouldn't be the same on every hitter like it should be different for every hitter you know what i mean like yep not like right side block defense is this it should be like okay well this guy, this guy or girl only really hits line or tips so our five is going to be ready just to take tips and we're going to block the full line, you know? Right. I like just that. Stuff yeah. like that. But uh, the best preparation, 
I think every player should watch film before you watch it as a team. And every player should know, like have their own ideas before you watch as a team. And then when you're watching as a team, you can all discuss things that you all saw and have like a, I don't know, like a collaborative discussion on what, right. what you think the best game plan is. I love that. Okay. Keep going. Oh, so preparation, uh, I guess mental preparation. I don't know. Uh, mentally, I, it's, it's kind of a different thing for me because I, I mean, you've known me for so many years. Like I'm kind of like a real level headed kind of analytical guy. Mm -hmm. Uh, so I mean, I don't really have to coach myself into games. Like I, the way I guess I mentally prepare for games is just by studying that team. Uh, and one, actually one thing that helps me that I should say is I have two different mindsets, one in practice and one in the game. My oh. practice mind is like completely on my side of the court, completely internal, completely like figuring out how to, what's terrible with, sorry, not, not what's terrible, like what's not working and trying to fix that. And then my game mind, all of that is out the window. I don't care what's not working on my side. We're going to figure out what's not working on their side and, you know, exploit that completely. So I guess that's how I prepare. Okay. I love that. Um, practice mindset is what's happening on our side. Game mindset is happening on their side. I like that. That's actually really cool. Uh, anything. Okay. So uh, team as a film, watch team as a film. Um, uh, watch by yourself before team sessions, mindset, Okay, I like that. Okay, have my well, how do I need for time? Okay, a couple more minutes. Okay, my last question. Mm -hmm. Another favorite topic of mine: culture. Love talking about culture. Every coach does. You've been around a ton of programs. Let's talk about culture. What have you found to be the best culture you've been a part of, and why? Um. Oof. <laughs> I think the best culture that I've been a part of honestly might be the our club team or really this one uh usually your professional team right now that you've been only part of like two weeks yeah it's literally been two weeks but it's ridiculous like we have some young players we have players that are 16 years old and okay. they're so professional like it blows my mind I don't know how these people are so professional like Okay, you got to talk about this because I know our listeners are going to want to hear about this. So yeah, ahead. it's like, I guess, I guess everyone just holds themselves to a certain level of professionalism that enables, enables the team to like not talk about it. Like no one's ever getting on anyone about, and I know this is like lucky. I've been a part of so many teams and like I've never had this happen that no one's getting on people about oh like why are you doing this why are you doing that it's just because no one does any of that everyone's just so focused on holding themselves to that high standard what and, is that high standard when you say high level of professionalism what do you mean um no one's ever late for anything okay uh nobody ever talks any type of derogative derogatory makes any bad remarks about anybody uh 
everyone, we don't even lift as a team, but every single person lifts hard. Mm-hmm. Um, and we just know that because we see them. Right. Uh, everybody, once it comes time to like watch film for the game, you can tell that everybody's gotten their own feel for the team by watching their own film. Uh, every single conversation in practice is about like they're like about our systems and how to make them better yeah uh i'm trying to think what else these all like kind of markers of just professionalism that i see everyone takes care of themselves no one's no one's drunk no one's hung over no one you know no one even like anything like that uh i see what you're saying i i i'm I'm starting to figure it out i'm picturing it in my mind it's like it's the environment of they're here to work they're here to push themselves work hard not make excuses um, and and is and is trying to make the team better. Like all everything is tactical, conversational, and it's it's all about you guys and the team. And and they don't do anything to to move away from that. Yeah, that's what it's all about. There's no yeah. distractions. There's not. There's no. I, I I know what you mean. There's no immaturity. It's like, okay, wow, everyone's here for the same vision, the same mission. Yeah, and I don't know one thing that like Micah said, which was. Uh, I try to do is you know you got to lead from the back you don't you don't lead by telling people to do things like oh you you were out too late last night you're up too late yeah no you lead by not putting everything onto your shoulders but like just making sure you're the best version of yourself and you lead by say you're the captain of the team put up the net take it down sweep the floor and because if everyone, if you can do that and you're the, you know, like you're the big shot, which doesn't exist, right. uh, then it'll create an environment where everybody feels like they should be doing that. That is a fantastic point. Yeah. I, I, it's funny cause you, you, you work, you work your way up to being the captain and then everything else is like, well, the rookies are going to do this. This is going to fall into that responsibility. But if, but it's true, like just flip the switch for a second. If you saw, if you as a, as a rookie saw your captain doing this. What is that? What that's a statement right there. What does that say about the culture and the team? I like that. Yeah, huge statement. It's like, I don't know, you better yourself so you can better yourself. So like you become the I best like player you can be so you can be better. Like, I don't know. Like, you know, like you're yeah. never just you're never good. You never like as an athlete, you're never at a place where you can just chill. Like, no, right. your job is to always get as good as you can, as fast as you can, always. So right. Okay, so point number one, everyone holds themselves to a level of professionalism, and you did a great job of explaining what professionalism means. What else? Um, yeah, I mean, I think it's kind of that. Like, okay, I, well, our our culture that we had in Nemesis, I don't know if it was just like all like all the stuff we went through and during those years of our lives, and us all coming from like similar backgrounds, which not all teams have that, right? Uh, but we're like so many of us are still friends to this day. I, I don't know why. I can kind of tell you a little bit about why. Well, one of our pillars in our, in my programming every year is experience. So mm-hmm. when I when I do, do my seasonal planning, I'm always and I tell my coach all the time, how are we creating the best experience for our players? And I think a lot of that came from when we have film, which we'll is come to my house, order food, chill, play games, whatever, watch yeah. film. Like it's the little things that creating a set like a, a family it, it sounds cliche but we were really trying to create a family 
And it sounds like we were kind of successful if you guys are still talking up to this day and stuff like that. And I, I'm actually surprised that you said the club team was one of the best cultures because that was when I was just starting out learning how to create a culture. So that's pretty cool. Yeah, I honestly, like, you know, I had to come on here and give you your flowers because I, 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 I have no clue how you did that. But like, yo, I don't either. You, 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 I don't mean that to like sound like, you know, like condescending or anything. Yeah, anyway, yeah, yeah. No, no, I get it. You know, like you, you were 23 coaching a group of 14 year olds. I don't know. And you created a culture that made me fall in love with the sport. Right. Well, thanks for that. That's a hell of a feedback. Oh, that's good. It's it's funny because that 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 four years was one of the best cultures I've been a part of too. Like we've had some good ones at the college team, but that was, but it comes from what you said. We all came from the same background. We all came from the same upbringing. It was re relatively, you know, kind of, yeah. It was all it, it was. We're all on the same page from the beginning, mm -hmm. and now it's just putting it together. <clears throat> one thing that I I want to say about like us all being from like the same background, like that I think. I mean, that helped us. We were kids, but like I have teammates now that barely speak English, you know, and right. I, I, I like I can't speak more than three words of Finnish. So it's like the way we have like a mutual respect for each other is just by effort and, you know, the things that you, I don't know, just things that you can show, you know, okay. no, just I got the that. level I of professionalism. It. Okay, so we have the the club team. It's or sorry, the pro team. It's prof level of professionalism, the respect, and it just sounds like literally the culture is professional. Professionalism describes like de defines the culture, and that's yeah. why it, it's so good. And then with the club team, it was about the experience you had, like just creating that experience really made you fall in love with the game, and it it, it led to one of the best experiences of your life. And then um and then so UCLA. So what talk to me about the UCLA culture? The UCLA culture was like good for the most part, but um i don't know like it's such a challenge to it coach is. a team like ucla like you you have all these recruits that everyone was the best player in their area and they all go to this one team and have to figure out how to work in i don't know they have to be able to figure out how to work in their right. new roles where they're not like the they're not like the big shot right you know yeah so. that's true that's true it, it is tough anything that um that you had at ucla that you thought was really cool from a culture perspective any cool things you, you guys like, like wow that, that really helped us as a team as a culture i know yeah. spraw is always thinking of creative ways to do things yeah i mean oh this like there's so many things that he did while i was there that were great um but i would say the general theme of the things that he did were he like he would he would try to hammer responsibility and maturity into us right uh and i mean those things definitely help cultures because they influence decision makings and decision making and you need to be able to trust your teammates decision making on and off the court so he definitely did a bunch of things in that department not that they're all always fun you know having to learn lessons but he uh you have an example of anything? I did a great job with that. Are you sure? Ooh. Yeah, one practice we like dove until like all of our hands were bleeding because I forget what <laughs> really? we did. Yeah, it was the day before a game. We won the game. That's actually something else he taught us. Like right before a national championship, we were lifting heavy like the day before. Right. All I don't know. Kind of like 
less excuses type of vibe. Oh, I don't know. I like that. I made you guys dive. That's so funny. Before game. <laughs> well, I mean, that's a, that's a poor example. I'm sorry. But uh, I get what you're saying. It's it's a, it's a standard. You respond like that. This is how he he. It, it didn't matter. He, he as long as you learned the lesson, the responsibility piece, like that that came first. Yeah, yeah. No, I get that. I okay. Think of other specific or specific things that he did. Maybe he'll come back to me. That's fine. Okay, I'm gonna do a quick recap. We're 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 just over our time here. I'm gonna do a quick recap. And then we'll uh, we'll wrap it up. So, literally, um, you you went from coach playing at fourteen years old, fall in love with the sport, went to UCLA, did some great things there, got a chance to play the national team. Uh, we didn't even get a chance to talk about your music career, and I apologize for that because I have a big passion for you. But uh, you're obviously a successful musician, artist, uh, signed with Red Bull Records, still still signed with them, and you get it. You get a chance to do volleyball and music at the same time, which is incredible. You get to follow both of your passions and make some money from both of your passions, like actually build a career out of it. So that's, that's like, that's the ultimate dream, you know, not, not doing something for the rest of your life that you hate and you look forward to waking up and doing what you love doing. So I love that. Um, you talked about the best coaches you've had were great people, uh, positive role models, great values, great standards. And T and, you know, talked about UCLA teaching how to be men, um, you talked about having a level of trust with coaches, which I think is a really, really good point. And that doesn't really get talked about enough is that athletes need to trust their coaches. And a very simple way you can earn trust with an athlete is going the extra mile. And a lot of that is with your time, showing them that you care. It's not, it doesn't, it's not hard to show you care. It just takes time to show that you care. Uh, you talked about Spra being creative and analytical, finding really interesting ways of solving problems. Um, I like that. Uh, one of your examples was, you know, you're looking at percentages. Well, the percentages show that it's a better ball if it's high in the middle of the floor when the ball is set from backcourt. You might as well, you know, we want to play the higher percentages to give our sh a, ch a chance, uh, a ch our, give our, our, ourselves a chance to to win and score. I, I love that. You talked about the real points. So when you're serving, that, that's a real point if you score off a serve. I like that. We talked about practices. Um, you're a big fan of games, multi-skill games, competitive warm-ups. So you can work on multiple different things like ball control, recovering the ball from the net, all these, all these cool things. Uh, you talked a lot, a lot about the at the higher level. You're, there's a lot of six on six wash drills where you talked about a lot of not perfect passes, balls at the ten foot line, etc. And then you talk about what's really good about practice is having these systematic discussions. You know, keeping uh, the, like the discussions are meaningful. It's not just wasted conversation, but it's it's systematic conversation. I, I like that. And more of more of a higher level conversation there. And then we dove into the middle position. I, your first point was definitely the first point I've ever heard any middle coach say was you need to be a thinker. Yeah, I like that. Um, it's not about just putting the tallest person in the, in, in the front court and trying to make the middles. No, no, you need to have good thinkers. Um, and then we both kind of talked about how to train. They start with footwork, go to routes. Um, then, you, then you start talking about attacking. Then, then you can start talking about technical blocking and all that stuff. Adjusting to the speed of the game, that was one of the things that you had to adjust when you got to UCLA. We talked a little about the split step. And why this split step is important. Um, we talked about as a middle, you want to make sure that when you before the server is uh, making their serve, you got to watch the tape in case it trickles over the tape because that's your ball. You have to see where the pass is coming from, and really get a chance to learn how to read that pass much better because that will help you in your approach route. So seeing where the pass is coming from, having setters have the same rhythm, I thought that was an interesting point because um, if the setters have the same rhythm, then it, your, your timing becomes so much easier. Um, when you can't see the block, you swing high, swing high and deep into the court. 
I like that. Deep into the third of the court. Uh, watching film was a big point of emphasis. You made clear hitting tendencies, middle tendencies, knowing if a player only likes to hit a certain area or do they like to hit away from the block. You also watch the setters a lot for setter cues, things like, you know, arching the back and when they, do they like to, you know, set certain players in certain rotations late game. Then we talked about match prep, watching film as an individual before you get to the team session. So everyone knows what everyone's on the same page as no, not everyone that, but everyone is, has comes to film with their own perception of the game. And then as a group, we have great group discussion. So I like that. I really like the two different mindsets, your practice mindset and your game mindset. So practice mindset is completely internal. It's on your side of the court. What's not working for you right now is try to fix that. Game mindset, you don't care what's not working for you. You just care about what's going on the other side of the court. So I thought that was really cool. Uh, then we talked about culture, uh, your pro team, level of professionalism. They hold themselves to a high level. No one's ever late. No one's talking about anyone. Every, everyone um, um, everyone uh, lifts on their own uh, because that's a level of trust you have. And everyone knows that they're taking care of their body. They're doing stuff. Um, everyone's all in, um, high level conversations and then lead by example. I like, I like that one. If you're a captain, you can put the net up. You can take the net down. You can run harder. You can do things. Um, and then the UCLA culture that Spra hammered home was hamming responsibility and maturity, uh, less excuses. And that helped with influencing decision-making and things like that. Did I miss anything? No, I think that was, that, that was definitely way better than I said in my little rambling way. So. Oh, I, I, I just took on, I just took the key points out. So the, the, which, which by the way, are, these are amazing points. Even I learned something from this interview, just looking at little things like, like the setter rhythm. It's something that, that I, I, we talk about, but now it's, it just gives you more clarity. Yeah, um, okay, it, the last it like question helps so much. Like it yeah. helps so much. It, it takes so much pressure off the middle because then once you know their rhythm, you can just kind of see them peripherally and right. based on what they're doing, know exactly where and when you need to be. Right. No, I, I love that. And the last thing that I ask every guest when we have on the podcast, um, so dead or alive, who would you want to have dinner with and why? Who? Um, dead or alive? I'm, I'm a nerd. So I'm okay. not going to lie. It's probably going to be like, like Einstein. <laughs> <laughs> probably. I don't know. And why? Like that guy knows some stuff i don't know yeah like this is a completely not volleyball answer that's fine i feel like it's also not really much of a volleyball question but no it's not yeah, yeah i ask everyone this one um okay know. before before you go uh any last minute pieces of advice for the coaches uh no i guess i don't uh yeah uh i guess Well, you kind of get out it's like everything I mean it sounds so cliche you get out what you put in but I think that's the same when you're coaching you get out of your athletes what you put in so if you if you go above and beyond for your athletes your athletes will go above and beyond for you and they'll hold themselves to the highest standard that you ask of them and they'll make the decisions that you want them to make that are in the best in interest of the team right uh, because they feel they owe it to you right no, I appreciate that. Well, Dana, listen, man, thanks so much for taking the time. I went way over time with you. I apologize. Uh, but this was a, this was really good. This was a really insightful episode. And I think our, our listeners are probably going to have to listen to this again because there were a lot of really cool things, I think, as coaches that we could take back to the gym and apply with our team. 
whether it's from a, a mindset, whether it's from practicing, whether it's from match prep, culture, or even training the middle position, I think we could take a ton away from you some of this. So thank you so much for that. And coaches, um, even though doors are closed, if you're interested in DVA, head on over to Digital Volleyball Academy, uh, sign up for that wait list, and I will definitely reach out to you to follow up with that. Um, but that's it. So listen, thank you so much for tuning in to another episode of the Volleyball by Design podcast. I'll see you guys next week. Take care. All right, cue the music. Look, are you at the stage you want to be in your volleyball journey? How would it feel to get clarity on your training? And instead of taking months to get better, you could improve in weeks, if not days. When I was a young coach and player, I felt this way all the time. The truth is, after I got some great advice on how to be efficient, my learning curve grew exponentially. Let me show you how to be more efficient and effective in this game. I invite you to check out CoachBTraining.com for more resources that you can use to take your game to the next level. I look forward to helping you reach your volleyball goals.